0: Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOOnline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at ko-online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Duset. And as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today is an author, entrepreneur, and martial artist who graduated from Arizona State University in 1978. He studied numerous styles of martial arts throughout the years, with a specialty in the Japanese arts focusing on weapons. He's won numerous awards, including being inducted into the Black Belt Hall of Fame, Universal Martial Arts Hall of Fame, World Karate Hall of Fame, United States Martial Arts Hall of Fame, and many more. He developed action flex martial arts products, has traveled the world visiting places like the Congo, the Arctic Circle, Mount Everest, and more, and developed the Super Samurai workshops for team building. Please welcome my guest today, Mr. Dana Abbott. How are you doing today, sir? Uh, well, well. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I, I appreciate you taking the time to do this, and I'm, I'm looking forward to our chat.
1: Hey, I'm here for you. Anything that you want to hear about, just ask me. (laughs) Well,
0: how we like to kick it off, I want to go back to the very beginning. I want to find out where, where did that first spark come from? Kind of what led to that first interest in martial arts?
1: Well, when I first learned about the martial arts, it was probably 1965. I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I was about eight or nine at the time. And I had a big brother that used to throw me down the stairs (laughs) <laughs> and then he went over to then he went over to UC Berkeley, and he was younger too. But uh, they had evening classes there doing judo because judo started getting known from sixty four to sixty five. And I learned how to fall, so when I got thrown down the stairs, I didn't break my neck. <laughs> nice. so, and then it just you know that that was it, and it was just a little fad at that time. But it wasn't until I got out of college, uh, out of Arizona State, and I went up and got into my first job working for Yavapai County in the engineering department. I did surveying there. And uh, that's when I met a few people through the Police Athletic League, and that's when I got really interested in martial arts again. And this was more kick and punch instead of, you know, pound Mm -hmm. and grind. Right. And uh it just started working from there, and uh, uh, that was September 16th, 1978.
0: Oh, wow. Yes. What was that first style, and what kind of drew you to that specific style and that specific school?
1: Well, since it was one of the only games in town, because Prescott, Arizona, was that small little nasty town. Mm-hmm. Remember that movie, Billy Jack? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Remember that little town he was in? Yeah.
0: That's where I was. <laughs> nice. Yeah.
1: So y- you can see how that goes with that. And uh, the police athletically, but there was a couple other dojos around, but uh, through the police athletic league, I just started working there. And that was when, everything was called Korean karate. (laughs) So it had any type of context, the straight punching, it was Korean karate and, uh, just started learning like that. And I learned my kicks and punches. And, uh, I met a guy a little bit later and his name was Toby. And he was one of those, Oh, military guys that, that never came home. If that made it any sense. Mm -hmm. But when he did come home, he moved to Prescott, Arizona. And, uh, He was just one of those guys that uh, was a hardcore martial artist. And I started working with him also on kicking and punching. And he just beat the crap out of me for months months and months and months and months and months.
0: So how long in that first style, you know, through the police athletically, how long were you with that Korean karate before you switched to training with Toby?
1: Oh, probably about six months. Okay. Now, I didn't switch on over. I added it to the okay. agenda. Okay. Just because it's, it was so loose back then. Mm-hmm. Because the thing was with the police athletically, you can appreciate this. They got together twice a week. Mm-hmm this guy wanted to spar every day.
0: Nice. Nice. And I love
1: the fight. I love the fight, not fighting, like going into a bar and fighting, but just the ultimate physical game of chest is if you don't get a fat lip, you did okay that day. And if you did, (laughs) you got to eat it like candy. (laughs) So he was really, really good on just beating the crap out of me because back in those days, you didn't do cotton to make you look pretty Mm -hmm. because you guys didn't look pretty. If you're a yellow belt, female doing kata it didn't matter you looked pretty but if you were a secondary black belt guy back in those days you didn't look good in kata. but you could kick people's butt in the garages all day long hey you know those were the old days when you worked out in garages or you Mm -hmm. worked out in like little schools or the police athletically got the armory for example or out in the parks so there were very few schools around at that time. And I guess if there were, you never went in because they were our own little religions, if that made any sense. Yep. Yeah, okay. you know how that one goes. But what happened was is that uh, I worked with him. He beaten me down every day. And then one day, about eight months down the road from there, I got in a nice hit, put him down. <laughs> then he got up faster and he went down, wiped off his lip from the blood. And he goes, oh, Time for weapons, and that's <laughs> and that's when I started on weapons. Nice. What was the first weapon you learned? Oh, uh, three sectional staff. He says it'll give you a bigger chest cavity. Nice. And then from learning the three sectional staff, I went the to tonfa, I went the nunchaku, I went to staff or bow, depending on what you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to a few of those, but when I got to the wooden sword. Uh, the bokuto or the bokken, depending on what you want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, the wood sword, I put that in my hand and I went, oh, I like the feeling of this. And then from that time on, I carried around a sword in my hand as much as I could and worked at it from there.
0: And how long was it then before you decided to really dive into the the sword and the, that style and, and you actually moved to Japan for a while?
1: Yes, yes. Now, the first, oh, let's say from say 1978 to 84, when I went to Japan, it was mostly um, all the different types of weapons, uh, you know, playing around with it. But when I really started pushing the sword a lot, as I said, just a little bit a while ago, that's when I started getting these wild ideas of going to Japan and learning the language. Mm-hmm. And if a martial artist went there, learned the language, it'd be worth uh future if that made any sense Mm -hmm. so uh i just started working with the sword more and more and more and of course still getting me beat up all the time (laughs) but you start learning that you have to be anal retentive to learn martial arts in some aspects because it takes so much practice and repetition most everybody falls by the wayside with that and uh you know how it goes. And then I was, I was in Arizona, Northern Arizona. I go, what's next? And I decided, uh, let's go to Japan. And if you went to Japan, you might as well work where, remember to and you can appreciate this. I saw some of the movies from the 70s. Mm-hmm. I saw Chuck Norris. I saw, you know, uh, some of the Chinese Kung Fu martial artists like Bruce Lee, for example, Jackie Chan, all those guys. But it was around the American martial artists that said, well, we went to Japan for three months and we studied with the masters. And I grew up with the masters and all those stories that you see in all the movies. Mm-hmm. And I went, well, maybe I should go try that because I want to follow this." footsteps well now i look back on it i'm one of the only person i ever met that ever went to japan and did what they did like they said they did in the movies
0: nice
1: hey you know you know and i can say with confidence you know and all the guys i see in the movies and all that they were really really good in the movies but they didn't follow through with the repetition now everybody's getting old but we're all getting old but you can see the difference in martial artists if you look at them like a coach, remember in junior high school, there were some coaches mm-hmm. and there were the young coaches that were nice and could run with the students still and they're fit and vigor and was good, but they get in the mid thirties and get a little bit heavier. And by the time they're forties or fifties, are they put in their 20 years? They don't look like coaches anymore. They look like (laughs) history teachers. That's in every sport, every aspect of life. You Mm -hmm. know, people have their heyday and then they don't. And if you go to Japan and you learn the tradition of the tradition with the tradition, you'll live to be a hundred. And the last day you live at a hundred, you'd be practicing martial arts.
0: So was it hard for you to get the Japanese instructors to accept you and into their schools?
1: Ah, I was really lucky. Okay. I'll just put it at that. I just, I was really lucky. I just fell in the right place at the right time. Um, I I wrote a couple of stories on it a little bit, but uh, uh, general synopsis is I was looking around and I wanted to do a martial art and I wanted to do either judo or kendo just because, but it came across that I did kendo and just as happy because... Back in when you look at the Japanese society, there are only two martial arts that they recognize in the Mm -hmm. Department of Education and Recreation. And that is Kendo and Judo, which means that it's subsidized by the government. Nothing else is. So if you go into all your colleges or your high schools or your junior high schools or anything, if you find a karate class, it's usually just something on the side. Okay. your judo and your kendo. Now, judo was made for people that had a slower metabolism because there's two types of people. There are the ones that have a fast metabolism that we call ADHD now, and everybody's giving them Ritalin. And then they have the old, the, the people that roll that are a little bit slower metabolism. If you're a fast metabolism person, they teach you all the kendo, they teach you all this. At the end of the day, you pay attention because most people that don't pay attention are ADHD teaches you to pay attention so you're never hit by that car when you're crossing the street versus the judo person who will never slip and break their butt in the snow. So you can look at it just in the general facts of it, helping people from a young age become older and being able to use it in their aspects of life, being it, you know, living in an area or with lots of traffic or anything happening around you. Okay.
0: So yes. talk about just some of the training there. What, was, what were some of the classes like? What are the, some of the things you had to go through in your training over there?
1: Well, it was training was six days a week from about sun up to sundown. Oh. And seventh day was tournament. Okay. That, that's what it came down to. Now, remember, too, that I went to the best university for martial arts and kendo in the world. Uh, Japan, it's the best, which means it's the best in the world because there's not too many Kendo schools or universities, right. and it's called, called Nihon Taiku Daigaku. And I don't know if there's any, been any foreigners going there since then. I don't know, but I was the first foreigner to go there when I went, and it's about 100 years of being around. It was a what would we call the West Point of martial art universities in oh, Japan, okay. that. After World War II, it changed its name from, from the Toyama to from the university that was made for midshipmen like, uh, what would we say, um, Annapolis mm-hmm. or West Point or any of those universities. That was the military's university. And then after MacArthur came in and said, no more of this kamikaze stuff and people, you know, this, these weird mindsets that no one could understand. Then they got rid of Kendall and judo and all the martial arts until about 1955, and then it started coming back. Now, remember, Japanese said, we're not going to have any more martial arts. We're going to take all these military universities, and we'll just turn them into sports universities. (laughs) Voila. They practiced the spirit of the thing with just a new title. So in practicing with this, you have to remember, when you go to the best school in the world for that and there are 125 million people of the archipelago of Japan, where let's say there's 125, 130 million people in the size of California. There, when everybody's required to practice at that time of physical education, like we were back in until the 1970s, you either learned kendo or judo as part and parcel with something. And... When you graduated from high school and say there was about 50,000 high schools in Japan, just to be conservative around there, Mm -hmm. and every high school had their different sports teams, correct? Yep. So if you were here in the United States and you were a captain of your baseball team and you had any earth at all, you'd probably go into college ball and try to get known with that, right? Mm -hmm. And if you were in your good... At all, you try to be the team captain or quarterback or whatever you want to go with it to make your future better. Well, out of there, out of the 50,000 schools, there were probably captains for Kendo. Let's just cut that down to, say, Mm 20,000 out of those 20,000 schools that one good ringer that's probably 18 or 17 or 18 and his father and his father and his father probably even kendo and uh you know they were born and raised with this it isn't like you going t-ball when you're four or five this is like they put a sword in your hand when you're when you're old enough to hold something <laughs> yep. and uh from there they let's see where was i i'm starting to go off on a tangent here you know how it goes because hey oh, there's no just worries. so much information right Anyway, with the training with these guys were that uh, out of the 20,000 students, there were only 200 openings in the best kendo school in their country. Wow. So you can imagine the caliber of these people that were like 18 to 23 years old, and they were the hottest, hardest hitting people out of the 7,000 islands in Japan. And what I want you to see, uh, sorry, 5,453, something like that. 7,000 is the Philippines. Anyway, so with all these students coming from all these different areas, this is where they come in all together to learn homogenized system. They learn it through Kendo, where at any given time, there are a million black belts practicing through the Zen Nihon Kendo Lemme. Mm-hmm. Out of that million black belts, there are more than that just practicing. They're always coming in. They're always going out because, remember, you don't lose a black belt. You just die on off. You know how right. it is. Yep. So the law of succession starts taking over. So out of all these different students, they all come from their own little hometown, which their fathers and their grandfathers, as I said earlier, were fairly famous in their own martial art or there were cops for a hundred years or they were from a samurai family that rode in black limousines. Well, they come in for the homogenized stuff so everybody can practice the same. So, for example, here in the U.S., if we're practicing punch and kick and we practice a certain style, I can go over to your house or I can go down to Florida or I can go over to Brazil and we have the exact same kata, no no variations, the exact same Kumitak Kumitachi, the exact same, Zen, everything. Mm -hmm. So that makes it all consistent. But the cool thing about it was, even though they're all learning consistency to make the sport go on for the next generation, they're also practicing their own little styles. Now, this isn't during class. Right. It's after class. So any style that you can have read about or imagined from Miyamoto's Musashi all the way down to the lone guy holding a single sword or a knife, we practiced everything because everybody was so proud of their ancestors. Wow. And with all these people beating on you all these years, you learn that uh, you you can't be f- – I come back to the U S and they try to faint me out. (laughs) So anyway, that's how the students were. Now, when we worked out six days a week, they had the general class in the morning and it didn't matter. Everybody practiced. So it's winter time and where you are, just imagine winter now over there because Tokyo isn't as quiet as where you are, but it's like New York, you know, it's cold. Yeah. And uh, they go into the dojo and it's this big, 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 big room, just like a gymnasium, you know, big that can hold four or 500 people mm-hmm. that was made 80 years, hundred years ago and didn't use a nail. They're all made by, you know, wood. So you can get in the middle of this, in the middle of the thing and stomp your foot. And the whole building goes, <laughs> so they have windows all at the top going across the whole thing and windows all at the bottom and they open it up and the collier comes in from the bottom. And the hot air goes out at the top and you have this circling thing. And you know how cold it is? Mm -hmm. You think you break your toes off when you stamp them on the, on the wood floors. But 10, 15 minutes later, you're going good and it's really strong and you put in about an hour and a half workout. Now remember when you put your outfit on, you didn't pull it out of a nice dry washer and dryer like you do here because no one washes their geese and it rains 300 days a year there so you know you're not going to leave it out in the sun too much Mm -hmm. so what happens is you put on that almost mossy type top that's all damp and horrible but in about 10-15 minutes it's all warmed up ready to go wow the summer is just opposite where it comes in from the top goes out of the bottom through the windows and you just sweat a completely different way now Mm -hmm. when it's summertime. You sweat so much, but this is what they want. See, it all goes back to battlefield thought. In kendo, you can't wear underwear. And the reason why you don't wear underwear, because you'd be spending all this time trying to dry out underwear underneath your hakama or kendogi. So what happens is, is that you don't wear underwear and you sweat like a pig. If you don't sweat like a pig, you didn't work out mm. and you're, you're full sweats. I'm talking about two gallon sweats wow. and you're just sweating all this stuff out and you're not wearing underwear. So it just goes right down to the floor. Now the floor gets all wet with sweat and not water sweat. It's that sweat with um, a salt in it and all that, which is real slippery. Mm-hmm. It teaches you to attack at full speed and keep your stance and posture. Perfect. Because if you don't, you're going to be doing the splits really easy and they'll, they'll call, you go on the ground. There's no mercy. They'll just beat you on the ground.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now you hit someone might hear this. They go, wait a minute. This is a gentleman's game. <laughs> yeah. in junior high and high school or well, what they're learning, wait until they go work with the police departments where they got the Judah guys and the Kendall guys together. They mix those two. And then all of a sudden they're beating you with a stick and you're ending on the ground getting beat up some more. <laughs> wow. Because, hey, you incorporate it all in there. Mm-hmm. Then they start doing jitsu, or, you know, what it is like jujitsu, jitsu mm-hmm. And then they add that to it. And then all of a sudden, you, you have cops that don't need to carry guns. Wow, that's crazy. But it's all from their keyhole. And remember, too, most everybody that goes to Nihon Taiku Daegaku, they go on to being a policeman or a fireman. They go on to be in the uh, military, for example, one of those services. Mm -hmm. Or they become a high school or junior high school kendo teacher to take it to the next generation. And the fifth people become shoe salesmen because there's always a low man on the totem pole that didn't get that job. Right. So it's same here, same there. You got the same type of people that are the top 10% and you got the other people just going through life, even though they were selected to go to the best school because like at Harvard or any of those, you got the top 10% and you still got a bottom, right? So nothing ever changes. (laughs) So if you look at that here in the U S as far as any endeavor, any education, same in Kendo and their thought that way.
0: Okay. And and how long did you train at that school? And what were their did they have like belt levels like other martial arts or how did the ranking work there? Well, you never saw rank because okay. in Kendo you don't wear belts. Okay. Belts
1: are made for something that they made up in the uh, I think uh Kano sensei did that the, the judo guy okay he started pushing that out in europe i think back in the 30s which was really good because everybody in the western world they need a carrot above their head to make them look good mm-hmm. you know and a black belt look good in japan it's the humility it's so deep that you'd never wear a belt because you don't need a belt you just wear your ancient outfit that your ancestors wore, and that was a Hakama or a Kendogi that we call it. Or you see it as all the wear that they used to wear, you know, a top and basically um, a dress pants like that, or one of those bathrobes. And those go back to just basic designs a long, long, long time ago.
0: Okay. And how long did you train there? You said? What, was it let's years? see. Uh, let's
1: see. 1984 to about 1988. Okay. Um, my first two years, uh, well, I did all my, rah, 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 rah. the, the second two years, because I was, I already had my degrees and all that kind of stuff. in. Mm-hmm. so I didn't like go to get a bachelor's. I went as a graduate student and worked it in that way. And, uh, while being part of the school, see the school, it, it's really nice. It's like here, if I went to Harvard or if I went to, what would we say? Annapolis mm-hmm. in my field. I just throw out the name and I'm in, I'm in the door, right? Yep. Well, when I threw out Ni tai dai I never got a ticket. <laughs> wow. I threw out an itai-dai, everything was opened up. So what happened was, is that, you know, people would look at me and they'd be talking. Uh, my Japanese was getting pretty fluent at that time. And they go, well, what do you do here? And I go, oh, I practice kendo. And they go, oh, that's so sweet. It's so good. And where do you practice? I go at knee tight, I go, yes, sir, you must be one of the serious people out there. Oh it was that much of a difference between you know where you go to the schools because it does. Wow. So from there, my name started getting a little known as the pet foreigner, <laughs> gaijin. You know, Mister Aboto or Mister Roboto—that was a song beat back then too. Yep. So anyway, I just started getting known. The Gaijin who's practicing, and he's the energizer buddy. He doesn't get tired, and <laughs> we can beat on him all day long. So anyway, uh, I started working with a group called the Ju Kendo Federation, and that was Bayonet Federation, that was run by World War II vets. and World War II vets used the sword in World War II and just started, you know, I just sort of went over to that. Now, the people that are in that, because I'm nobody, but the people in that, my immediate teacher, his name in that was Tanabe Tetsundo, or Tanabe Tetsundo. And then his teacher above it, my second-up teacher from there, he was Nakamura Taizaburo, And uh, anybody that does sword anywhere knows who he is because he's the one that made uh, a really well-known military martial art famous throughout the world. And he was knighted by the emperor and all that. And his, my immediate teacher, he was knighted by the emperor, not the biggest medal for him. But he still was knighted by the emperor. So, yeah, they have good accolades. Uh, one was making sure that, uh, you know, uh, the way of the sword got back into the world again after World War II. And the second one was to make sure that the sword was accessible to children because in Japan, like America, it's gotten a lot different in the last generation where I don't want it stinky and it's smelly and it hurts and it's cold and it's damp and i can't pick up girls or anything with this it's like you want to be a marine you got to be a combat marine and not just a clerk you, you know how that goes
0: yep at what point did uh, teaching become something that interested you?
1: I never became interested. For me, I wasn't really interested in teaching at all because what could I teach? Okay. I was over there learning off of their dime, so I had no thought about teaching because who am I going to teach? Little kids. Mm-hmm. All the all my peers were older than me. Uh, the ones that were younger or, or I mean, as as far as people that I looked up to really, really well, you know, the, the students that were my age, we just sort of, you know, lumped around. Probably when I came back here to the United States, it was inevitable. Um, I came back in, uh, May of 1998 okay. and there were people waiting for me on the tarmac and we started getting stuff going from that day and I brought back the action for actually not bring it back. I started developing it within the year that I was there and started working that in really well because you try to hit an American martial artist with bamboo. Yeah, you can tap them once or twice. Mm-hmm. You can tap them thrice. But if you start sparring with them within the third tap, they'll start talking and they don't want to do it anymore. Mm hmm. People just don't want to spar. They just, the pain is too hard. They they couldn't handle it. So I designed out some really nice, you uh, well, the action flex weapons. We have the patent on it and everything too with, uh, it's a, just a basically a foam weapon that I can hit you as hard as I can with. And the, uh, the power, the pressure dissipates out of the piston when it hits the curb. So it feels like it's actually cutting through you and you know you got tagged hard. There's just no pain that goes with it. And if you can put a man on the moon, you should be able to make full contact weaponry that you can tag, hit well, and still block out a baseball bat without giving. Uh, that worked in really well yeah. so what we did is we had to develop it over here where we had to get all the students mm-hmm. and the adults say i'm not going to do this chamby wamby stuff i'm a martial artist oh okay 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 well we started developing children's programs now the children's programs that i started developing aren't special it's just what they taught in japan in junior high school in the grade school in high school mm-hmm. that's all it was i just took it put it basically in english adjusted it for its uh for its uh what will we say uh so no one would quit after the first day you know because japanese children they don't quit american children they have the option to do whatever they want and most opt to not earn so anyway from that aspect what happened is we developed a lot of programs around the turn of the century. I started uh, making uh, – that's why I started writing books about it and putting it together so people could have a rhyme or reason. I came to the conclusion that when I came back here to the United States, there were a lot of cool swordsmen around here. They all wrote books on it, and they did everything on it. You've seen a lot of the books out there yep. from the 70s and 80s, and I read those books too just because – And I came back and I met everybody and I went, they're good writers, but they just couldn't do the technique in real time. So I had to develop and I had to push in a program where people would learn in real time without third speed theory thought process. And then we started doing that and everybody started sparring in full speed. And then the children, they started catching on and we put out the programs and then we started giving two day intensive classes. We called them 48 hour training where, you know, like say these large schools, in the United States at that time, say they have a 800 to a thousand students and you go in there and you train the assistant instructors and the instructors for two days. So say you get 20, 30, you know, black belt instructors. And you train all them and you get them duplicated. Now, remember, they have it down by the first day in their head. Second day, it's in their rote memory. And that was the hardest part. Mm-hmm. They get, because everybody knows everything. They, they can't do anything, but they know everything. And uh, you're getting me started here now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So anyway, just working with that on the next day, then they started picking up all the nuances on what they need to do. And the first thing they all needed to do is not sound like a professor. Every damn teacher in the United States here wants to talk about their system. In an hour class, they talk about themselves and what, how great their system is for 15 minutes. And then you do some stretches in Japan. Pff, you ain't good practice and they'll remember you. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so we, we, we saw that a lot. We, we, you know, I, it was just amazing how, uh, the difference was with training, when you train a real traditional Japanese way, using technically sound equipment where you don't get hurt. So people will be able to polish up to the point where it takes years to master, but minutes to learn, and you can be proficient in a short amount of time. Because most everybody wants to go into the, so they go, well, I want to get a black belt. Okay, no problem. Putting about a thousand hours within a two-year period of time to be consistent And we can talk about it. No, no one does that. They get in about 30 hours and fall by the wayside just because, well, I should be better in this because I saw Star Wars and they got it down in three minutes Or you see all these new movies with all the young people that are indoctrinated from the Department of Education created in 1979 by Carter, and no more P.E., no more this, no more that, and they created a bunch of people that if something goes that bad, they just look down at their phones. So trying to work with young people in this new age of indoctrination, they have the hardest time pulling a little discipline in a steadfast stance, in a center stance with a sword, to make some adjustments with their hands and feet. Now, if they stand in that stance for more than a minute and they don't get it down, they'll fall to the ground in the fetal position. I'm not kidding. They're not embarrassed for this. A matter of fact, they are happy to look like a victim. And that's what—that's the hard part about trying to introduce martial arts into this new world of I don't need discipline. The people that do, it's great, but its it's real hard that way. And, uh you you know, you have a lot of Popeye, older teachers that you talk to, too, have the same problem. Just there's few and far between. When you find them, it's great, and they get good sweats and stuff, but they get injured fast. Mm-hmm. That's another problem. You notice every damn martial artist here in America has new elbows. They got new knees. They got new hips. And here I am, a senior citizen on Medicare with, uh what is it? I get full Social Security. I won't take it till I'm 70. but. Yeah. You know, I did it all tradition to keep everything in a good, strong core so you don't rip out your shoulders because 400 years ago, you couldn't go get your ACL done. Mm -hmm. So you had to learn to keep it so it wouldn't tear out. But all these people, they just go crazy. Uh, Sparta or Geronimo or any of that. They start swinging like crazy persons, and they all swing like baseball bats. And then all of a sudden, you get these injuries and tears. And uh, that's where the people – that are 40 and 50 the younger ones i have one student that i'm working with now he's about 30 32 really good i pound on him really hard mm-hmm. and good sweat but uh you know after about 60 days his knees started giving out and his then his elbows started giving out and the reason why is He wasn't disciplined to stretch and do what he needed to do to keep it. Now everything's all bound up with a tennis elbow and knee elbow and things like that. And that's what people just don't understand. The instant gratification is maybe there, but down the road, it's going to come back and beat you up really hard. So that is why when they teach martial arts, especially the way of the sword in Japan, you learn it as a young kid, and they teach you the young kid way. You learn it it as a young adult, they teach you the young adult way. They teach as a young, you know, as 20s or 30s, you learn it different. 40s and 50s, you learn it 60s. And you just follow that whole lifestyle of putting down one sword, picking up another, but knowing that you could pick up any one from the past and just say, oh, how quaint and be like you were 30 or 40 years ago.
0: So what kind of led to you getting in writing the books what where, where did the interest come from and talk about some of the books you've written
1: I've writ well let me start off with the first book I wrote mm-hmm. learning that I was you know trying to get the martial arts and not reinvent anything of course but getting out the spirit of the thing so people can ra- actually practice in real time and learn sword in layman terms because at that time I was really, I could read Japanese and I was fairly fluent in it. And, uh, you know, I could read the kanji and understand all the nuances. Therefore, I could take the nuances of one word and put it into a sentence structure that everybody could understand. Pretty good. So the first book I ever wrote was called Cutting Through the Mystery. And uh, that was for just cutting through all those mysteries that we've heard about the sword. And uh, I wrote it. Like my teacher's teacher wrote his book. Um, the one that was knighted by the emperor, okay. Nakamura Haizabado. And the person that wrote it was my other teacher uh, because he was a secretary of the Jukendo Federation um, that we spoke about earlier. So he was the one that wrote all the books. And uh, that's probably why he was um, another up and coming martial artist. Now he's about 85. So okay. you know where we are at this. And uh, I just wanted to make sure that everybody was on the same page. And they could understand what the page said later when I did my second edition or second publication, I started pushing it out just a little bit differently. And, uh, Oh, how did I push it out just a little differently where they would, um, use it as an authority figure. Oh. That's where I got to the point because there's no books on anything. There's books on how you can cut um, convicts in half with a samurai sword. And there's books how you can sit down, you can maybe draw a sword and there's books about this, but there's no books about kicking butt. Mm-hmm. There's no books about what happens if da 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 happens in layman terms in a way that you could read it and go, oh, I get it. Because there's so much mystery. You, you noticed for the longest time, there's so much mystery around the sword here in the United States. Let's turn that opposite. Let's say we're in Japan now. And let's say that uh, you know how to use a firearm. And in Japan, they don't have firearms. Right. So, And you're a cowboy from Arizona. And all of a sudden, you're a mystery because you shot one of those guns. You know, they're like magical in our country. See the difference? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it, so we were able to bring that real thought about swordsmanship back over here and people that practiced it, worked with it. And that was my first book. The, the second book was ranking and training manual because everybody wanted, a you know, I want to get rank. Everybody talks to everybody wants to be a surgeon. No one wants to do the second set of school. Right. You know, everybody wants to be a general, but they can't get past sergeant. <laughs> you know same thing Yep. same thing same thing so um we created a, a you know a ranking and training manual that sort of followed the original book but it was ranked it was ranked around training and working your way up in rank and giving you different tasks to do the first book didn't give you tasks the second book gave you lots of tasks and uh if you uh, as a taskmaster, i put out all these tasks and um you know Some of them did them. Some of them don't, as in anything. We did another book, and this one was from doing all the training we did around the United States around the turn of the century. It started off as, uh, you know how you train a teacher and you train a school, Mm -hmm. and after you train the school, they know it, but they forget it a week later. That's why people that go in for a seminar, the guy talks. And then he leaves and everybody remembers the talk, but they don't really re- remember any technique. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You know how that one goes. So we had that same problem. We go in there and they train and a week later, you know, so what we did is we started making a rhyme a reason. So I started writing stuff down for that and started pushing that in. So this is what you're going to follow before we see you. I want you to do kihon. I want you to work on the five basic strikes. I want you to work on the five, eight basic stances, the eight basic cuts, the eight basic, you know, the basic eights. Right. And uh, that got some of the ones that wanted to earn a little bit more into it. And after we left, Then they could follow up on it. Then that morphed into VHSs because VHSs were pretty good. And then we could videotape it out. And then people didn't have to read anymore because around the turn of the century, people couldn't read cursive from that time on. Mm -hmm. So, uh, What we did was we just pushed it out in video, and over time it got better and smoother and dealing with this, that, and the other, and went to DVDs. Now it's all online. So one of the third books we ever did was the instructor's training course, and that covers short sword and long sword. And it was a two-day event. And you would get the, you'd get the book and you get all the links for the short and long sword. You go through it all. You would make sure that's all done. You'd work with all your students. So what I would come in or one of our people would come in on a Friday night, we'd work with them for a couple hours and all day Saturday and all day Sunday. And by the time we leave Sunday night, they're all proficient. And their rote memories all set in, and they can follow up with it that easy. That morphed into a short sword book on the sword that we wrote, and uh, then I had about four books by then, by about two thousand five, two thousand six, and then I wrote another book on uh, the forty seventh Ronin. in, yep. and that was just a two a hour and a half or an hour action read about killing and dying <laughs> no women are in the thing no kiss no love scenes no this it's just a, a story i wrote around the 47th 47, 47 ronin you all know that mm-hmm. but there's different takeoffs from that of course and then i used all these characters from all the characters i used all the names from all my my kids and my family members and you know because i married into the culture for 37 years ago this last month anyway uh you know, using all their names. So the great Zymon of Yokohama, you you know, stuff like that. So it it was sort of cool. So anyway, we did that and it's a really good read. So if you go over to my website at learnthesword.com because no one could spell samurai and, uh, Hey, you'll be surprised. And, uh, you, you get over there and then you look underneath some of the stuff we have. Um, I forget where it is. I don't look at my website that much. Okay. And you can find the sort of 47th Ronin and it's a nice little story. Or if you want to read about my first six months in Japan training hardcore, I have about, uh, Oh, maybe 10 page really nice essay on that oh, okay. of all the trials and tribulations and everything that went that way. Cool. you know because on writing these books well, I had a problem when I came back to the US I knew English okay because I didn't speak it so long knew Japanese okay you know but I thought I was I couldn't write anything who am I I'm a marshal I couldn't write anything I'm not a writer mm-hmm. and I tried to have a couple few people write for me they weren't writers either so I discovered Hey, maybe that degree I got was worth something. So all the books I wrote, it's all been self, I wrote everything because no one else to help me. But my mom did. She graduated from high school in the 1940s where they learned the three R's. So I remember I used to do some editing and she'd come over once in a while. And she goes, this doesn't make any sense, but it makes sense to me. She goes, yeah, but look at you. You've got, a, you've got an education in the current educational system. <laughs> nice. So anyway, what was the... The last book, the forty seventh thrown in, and then I started writing different things. Um, as far as the books, I wrote enough to be an authority figure, and mm-hmm. then I also discovered that uh, you can only write so many things. And my first book was excellent. I mean, I can't, I can't build off of it. Right. And swordsmanship, he, I don't have a style. I learned what my teacher taught me. Everybody says, "Do you have a style?" Yeah, it's called the one my teacher taught me that he learned from his teacher that was taught from through the Japanese military or the Japanese department of education. So all my ranking and training and everything is through the w- department of education and recreation, which, uh, you know, I can go to any government place and they'll let me sit down in the door and offer me some tea. <laughs> nice.
0: I definitely want to read that. I, I already bookmarked the 47th throne and I want to go and read that. I love. Oh, do like so, that. do yeah. so.
1: Now I, over the last five years, I write different things, but they're more essays. Mm-hmm. Actually, I write a lot of chapters for people's books now. Okay. Yeah, they, they call me up. They want to write a chapter. I did one with Grandmaster Jesse Bowen, and do you know who he yeah, is? He's been on my show. Oh uh,
0: Yeah, Jesse's oh, okay, a great guy, okay. great guy. Yep.
1: I remember when he was starting to push out that thing, yep. you know. Um, Jeff Smith gave me a call. Hey, will you, uh, you know, work with him a little bit? I go, yeah. So, yeah, I pounded with him for some time, and then he got his platform. I haven't seen him in a while, but yeah, that that works out really, really well. Why did I bring up his name because they just wrote a book on elite martial artists and I put in about a 2000 word chapter in there. Okay. Cool. And that's just on the things now. I do a fair amount of essays now because no one reads anymore. And the last nice essay I did, which was another chapter in a book, but I pulled it off as an essay too, is, uh, you know, the word zanshin.
0: I've heard of it. Yes,
1: it's basically in every movie that you've seen. The, the The guy shoots the bad guy and walks away, and the bad guy doesn't die. Mm-hmm. And then the movie goes on another fifteen minutes. Yep. Uh, in Japan, they don't have a movie that goes on another fifteen minutes. <laughs> okay. Kill the guy. Make sure he's down. Cut him open, and you know he's not going to get back up and follow you and screw with your kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. So Zanshin is basically that, and I wrote. Maybe a three thousand word essay on it, where most people cannot find more than a paragraph on Zanshin, because it's sort of like uh, it's it's just too hard to explain unless you were brought up in that system of thought process. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it it makes you know it's like talking about sex to a bunch of virgins <laughs> that that wrote paragraphs on sex. Yep. You go. Well, wait a minute. You know, it isn't like getting in a hot bathtub you unless go. you're riding a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> <You know?
0: laughs> I want you to talk a little bit about your Super Samurai workshops. I was reading through that website, and that seems kind of interesting. Talk a little bit about that, and kind of how that started.
1: Uh, those workshops. Well, w- when I was in Japan, I you know got fairly well known. Mm-hmm. There's no money in kendo or the sword there. You know, it's just one of those things. Right. It's a, a little feather in your cap to let you in any door you want. Mm-hmm. So, so there they all saw me work the spirit of the thing and the brevity of weaponry. And they go, man, you know, you can talk to us about American spirits because you have that in the back of your head. See, in Japan, they have no subjunctive future. So if I were to say in Japanese, if I were a millionaire, I'd buy a yacht. In real Japanese language, you aren't a billionaire. So don't even think about buying a yacht. And since you were bor- born into this family that never have yachts, you never were. So don't even think about the subjunctive future. <laughs> so back to the question. <laughs> hey, this is a hard one to get to because I got to think back 40 years go. almost. There you go. So When I was in Japan, I was starting to get introduced to all these other sword masters. Now, sword masters aren't like sword masters that you have here that have a school that they teach kids. Sword masters go back hundreds of years and they're all owners of these corporations. So a lot of the corporations that you see, the people that run them, mm-hmm. they all do Kendo. They all do swordsmanship. They all do that. I worked my way into that because my teacher's teacher was knighted by the emperor and I was that pet foreigner. So that got me in. And then they started saying, you know, I like going to lunch with you and let's do this. What's your opinion? On this thought, and why, why do a why do you do it this way? So after a while, I became the shell answer man for these guys, you know, doing this or doing that. So then they started saying to me, you know, do you need any money? I go, well, yeah. And they go, well, what we're going to do is we're going to put you over in this larger company. Here's a letter, and I got started working for this company called Madu Benishoji. And if you were Japanese, you go, Whoa, IBM. You were a member of them back when they were big, you okay. know, and all I had to do is pull up my business card and everybody would bow almost wow. that that's a, yeah, well, it was good stuff as far as hierarchy. Yeah. I was lucky. Just let it go of that. I was just really lucky. Okay. So then I started working with all these major corporations dealing with these people, you know, these, uh, midshipmen or freshmen, they call them, but, uh, how to take the 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 spirit of the thing through Japanese and turn it into American spirits or European thought process where they won't be beat up as far as losing deals in international markets and stuff like that. Because yeah. even though they did really well, they just didn't have that combat marine type of thing. They were more like clerks. So from there, I started working in all, you know, aspects of that. So when I came back here to the U.S. and I got past the martial arts stuff, I started noticing more and more people that were of, let's say, let's say Elon Musk, for example. He's a good example. Mm -hmm. Here he is. He did his thing. He's already through. And he's sort of bored, like a lot of these people I know. And they go, well, you know, I want to learn S.W.O.R.D. too, like everybody. And you go, okay we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll do this. And they go, okay, wow, I know Cox Cable. A matter of fact, could you do a 100 people if we come in and we're having this big event in March? And if you go over there and we'll, we'll give you a, a few hours and we'll do this, and that's how it sort of works. So okay. that website is basically from the individual or the person that's working in, what do you call that, uh, HR, for mm-hmm. example, yep. or any of those, they can fall in. So at one time, if you look at my, uh, because I've been doing lots of stuff online, mm-hmm. not being present every day, but everybody can find, if they want to find me, they can find me. So have you heard of a, a, a app called, um, of course, Facebook, yeah. but the other business one called LinkedIn? Uh, I have an extensive app on that that I started doing a long time ago. So basically, everybody wants to have a sword guy in their back pocket. Mm-hmm. Every CEO, everybody in there, I, I have an email to or a phone number to. It's sort of cool. It's sort of weird. I never use them, and I don't really push it out because I'm not a groupie. And I, you know, I'm, you know, if they want me, they'll find me, and then I'll know they're serious when they call or write me. Yeah. So that's how we work with that website. It's just a little bitty net. I throw out a little bit of net there. I'm just fishing in the water. But anybody that sees it, they can go, oh, a street smart samurai or super samurai or all that. And this the street smart samurai was geared a little bit more around working out and becoming safer and the super samurai was more towards like cox cable type of people where you know today i'm going to be a super samurai and everybody does dungeon and dragon in the back of their head at home Mm -hmm. so that sort of made that philosophy because everybody wants to be a samurai in one way but in a short amount of time in that period of time we do kihon they get in there do sparring and they do all that and then all of a sudden we find out where all their weak spots are. Cause all you have to do is just put someone up in front of a room around others and you can see them just fall apart. And then you just polish those aspects. And since I learned in Japan, you can polish 50 people at a time really easy and still give them undivided attention because that's what they do. Right. So yeah, it it, was, it was, it was pretty easy. It was pretty easy. And, uh, Of course, you could even deal with all, you know, there's always those few people inside the class or inside the program that are like, nah, I don't want to do this. I want to go against the grain. You know, you just manage those people really easy. And within seconds, it makes it nice because the way the Japanese practice, just be a Chuck Norris, you know, just, just be like that. They can all appreciate that because he's one of the nicest guys in the industry. And the reason why is because you must. You know, if you're not, everybody bitches and moans about you. If true. you notice, you don't hear too many bad things about me. Yeah, you know, if, if you did, it'd be right on the top of my page, <laughs> you know, but uh, that that's what happens when you learn Japanese thought process and you keep your mouth shut unless it's on a podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go. Nice. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on, on MMA and the UFC? And is that something you're a fan of? MMA is really cool. I remember. I really started looking at that back before the turn of the
1: century when it was called Pride in mm-hmm. Japan and all those guys, Hoost and all those. You'd run into the guys a lot because I was well-known in the field and they were sort of newbies and they worked out of a few places in Tokyo and Yokohama and uh, set the guy and all those places. So you'd run into them, you know, because just because, and then they started getting into the commercials in Japan, because if you win anything over there, you get into a ramen commercial. (laughs) And uh, so when I came back here to the U S in 98, you know, I'd run into all the guys in the circuit after a while, it's a big circuit and you run into the guys. So I remember Kenny, and Frank Shamrock and all those, that era of it. And that's basically where I know all those guys from. Okay. And uh, I remember there was a Black Belt Hall of Fame thing back in 2004, 2005. And uh, it was over in Studio City when they had that big gala event trying to do all the the, the Black Belt Hall of Fame and all that. That's when I was inducted into that mm-hmm. one and uh i remember working with uh frank shamrock and they had all these rings and you know no one would get in with me you know (laughs) a few people but no one wanted to spar because you know how it goes i still had a lot of callus on my feet if you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so anyway i remember frank getting up there and we traded off he'd hit me and beat the shit out of me (laughs) Until I started talking. You know how that goes. And it didn't take me much to start talking because you get hit upside down with those fists. You start talking soon. But in reverse, I'd be beating on him and he'd be choking out his lungs and everything like that. But what he did and no one else does is he wasn't ashamed or embarrassed to get in there and try something different. And this is a hard part about most martial artists. They're so into their own style that no one ever sees it. And since they're a little older, no one's going to argue with them anymore. You know. Remember, all my teachers were World War II vets that are my age now, and they kicked the heck out of me. Nice. So, your question again, going back to AMMA or AMA. Yep. When I was working with them, that's where I saw it. When I was at then it started going into more BJJ. And then I started working with a lot of the Filipino groups because I spent time in the Philippines back around the same time when Tyson bit the guy's ear off <laughs> yep. and that movie Titanic was around. So I was over in the Philippines, over in Cebu and all those places, learning a little rusty knife and stick going. And uh, from there, started dealing with, um, who were their names? Well, they started working with Disney Corporation. Did yeah. you ever see that? Disney Corporation. Core Disney started doing um martial arts stuff down in San Diego or Los Angeles once a year they they had their finger you know Disney and Sony they have their fingers in everything
0: true don't
1: let them kid you they they own everything <laughs> so uh they were they were the ones paying the bills for all this bJj now at that time I could say if there were 30 rings 25 of them were bJ and j and the other were just martial arts were vice versa five years earlier, it was twenty-five compared to five BJJ. So it really changed over and everybody really loved it. And I really liked it because it was Japanese. Mm-hmm. It, it no matter what thing you called it. If you're going to be a python, you're going to choke somebody else. You got to choke them out and be a python. You can't be a gardener snake. You, you know what I mean? Yep. So that really proved metal. That's why all those blue belts kicked everybody's ass because they actually practiced. And that's what I appreciated. And they have a they had a degree of humility yeah. because they get the shit kicked out of them as a purple belt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. And it was an honor to become a blue belt. It's sort of like in Shotokan. Anybody above a five fifth degree black belt must be an expert Mm -hmm. or or me. They don't talk about rank. Of course, we have rank, but you don't see any belts or anything because we wear dresses. (laughs) and it doesn't look right. It looks like a belt and suspenders together. And if you see anybody wearing a Hakama with a belt over it, it goes to tell you their base education wasn't with swordsmanship. It was with some kicky punchy thing. Mm -hmm. And if you see someone wearing a Hakama with with regular gi pants underneath, you know it was type of a flippy rolly thing (laughs) because people that are swordsmen, they don't do that. It's the difference between, I'm going to go out on a big limb here, but fuck it. Okay, so anyway, when you roll and you wear gi pants over a Hakama, it's all defensive. Mm -hmm. And when you don't wear pants underneath a Hakama, it's all offensive, like no underwear. So it's a difference between putting two swordsmen together, but one learned through the the Department of Transportation. And that was the um, Coast Guard. And then you have a combat Marine with 30 kills. You can see the difference in the thought processes, even though they're both sword masters. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. One gets out, gets it done, takes it to the job, gets it done. The other one waits until it comes in. And remember, the one that, that is more defensive, he can't get rolled more than two or three people if they all come at him at once.
0: Sword guy, where's my spear?
1: <laughs> <Nice>.
0: <laughs> yeah, or me right. you. Cool. So who are, like, three or four names you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts?
1: Oh, uh, Bill Wallace.
0: Nice. Joe Lewis. Cool.
1: Yeah, I'm right there. Those two guys, great. A matter of fact, Joe Lewis, before he died, you know, he was a hard guy to get along with, mm-hmm. and so am I. <laughs> So even though we did completely different things, we sort of chummed together when we did things together to the point where we just joked around. It it was fun and nice. And I used him is because he was a Marine and he got out there and he called called it as it was. Mm -hmm. So and then Bill Wallace, he's been in shape so long that he'll die in shape. And he's ten years ahead of me, so I always I can see what I want to be in ten years as far as where he is without the new hips, without the new elbows, and without that because I learned a little bit more tradition, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And I don't do that much kicking, but if we went to a kicking class, I'd impress. So anyway, <laughs> uh, another person would be like Frank Shamrock, you know the guys that punch, okay, you know the guys that get in there. There are lots of guys I could name on the top of my head mm-hmm. but they haven't they they were great in their heyday but now they're 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 not doing martial arts they sort of gave it up and they're not dying with it. Okay. So for example, I'm talking about, you know, like say Bill Wallace for example where, you know, when he turns 85, I'll be 75 and I have a goal to look forward to mm-hmm. right. where everybody else is slowly becoming portly. Let's see. God, I should throw out lots of different names, but Uh-oh. I'm just, yeah, what if, can if you I wanna, say? If you
0: want to stick with three, you can. That's okay.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. Three
0: good ones. There,
1: there it is. There it is. And it'll come to me. I mean, I know tons of people that are just badasses, right. like the colonel. Like the colonel. He's one of my students. He's about my age. All retired now, full colonel, that kind of stuff. He was the highest ranked combat flight surgeon in the army until he retired wow. he had a chest a chest so heavy that if he fell in the water he couldn't swim but he did wow <laughs> you know one of those guys okay. and uh he's really good now, he does both sides. He does the Aikido. He wears the pants underneath the gi, and also he does sword. Okay. So I give him a hard time for that, you know, <laughs> a little bit. But then again, his stuff is hard because, see, he, he's a fighting guy, and he knows practical application. So he can take that and turn it into something that's really good and tear apart people. Nice. Whereas the people that don't have that military background, they just are heavy. Because the heavier you are, the better your technique is. It's like sword cutters. You see a bunch of thin Japanese guys cutting sword, cutting through mats. They can cut three, four mats, and that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. A big heavy guy just gets the angle down. He can cut through four mats easy, but he has an extra 150 pounds on him. Right. Same thing with the new Sokes, with little umlauts over the name there. Soke. You know, they call them Soki or mm-hmm. Sokais or whatever. Anyway, those guys that, you know, they put an extra 70 pounds on their gut so they can keep their technique, but they won't live that long. Right. All the old Aikido people and all the old sorters and all that, they lived to be 90s. And that's because they smoked like chimneys and drank like fish. (laughs) 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 Nice. Because in Kendo, there was three things the old guys entrusted in my brain. There's Kendo, whiskey, tobacco.
0: (laughs) Anything else, you're wasting your time. All right. In all your years of martial arts, is there one philosophy you've learned that just rises to the top of your list? It's super important. You keep coming back to it.
1: Yes, family. Nice. Consistency,
0: discipline equals long life. I like that. All right. I have a few fun questions to wrap it up. Sure. Now, this one, you can't pick one of yours. A favorite martial arts book. There's a book out there made by hanshi
1: kaufman he has a school called the school of the snake he's about 80 something now and uh he's a really good writer and he's written tons of books a matter of fact if you look him up you'll go wow this guy's really prolific he wrote a book called the five rings interpretation off of miyamoto's musashi's rings now i wrote i read the original you know, in Japanese, because that's what my teachers gave me back in the day. They go, "You want to learn better? You want to learn the nuances? Read this." It took me a long time, but I got it down. Well, when I came back here to the United States, the the language was too ambiguous for to do anything, or my my words of interpretation were different than someone that was reading a dictionary. Okay, so, but Sensei Kaufman's stuff was a little bit more spot on and instead of rewriting it i just took over his so if you look underneath one of his books and he has tons of publications and uh on these and uh the what's it called uh, the five rings mm-hmm. and uh from that his words that fit in really well like using the spirit of the thing and all this type of stuff just was so, so good that I could use it in all my stuff so I could explain it to regular people and they still could not get it. I haven't read his book. So the Miyamoto Musashi book and the original one made back 400 years ago and then the one that was uh, transitioned over to him. Uh, those are some of the two
0: better books that I know. Okay. And then now this one you might not have an answer for. Some of my guests do, some of them don't. Do you ever, were you ever a gamer? Any martial arts video no. games that you enjoyed?
1: Um, the only game I ever played was a little game back in the 70s called Pong. <laughs> nice. It was the first one, table tennis. Yep. Got, that, got one of those at Akron. This is where my memory serves me well. Got it at Akron for like a buck and put it into the TV and went back and forth, bing, bing, bing. But it wasn't until about 1978, I was out of college. I was up in Prescott, Arizona. I was working for the county in, in the engineering department, and there was a place called Cartier's Dugout Inn, another French guy. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, <laughs> there were those old machines Remember asteroids.
0: Oh yeah. Loved asteroids.
1: I drink a kamikaze, throw in some corners, quarters and play asteroids. Nice. And then I didn't play anymore. Okay. But the last game I had, I was over in Tokyo mm-hmm. and this was probably when we had the first kid. And the first kid gave me time home, Yeah, goal figure. Mm -hmm. And someone sent me a program called Doom. Nice. And the the Doom program had the the codes so you'd never get killed. (laughs) I practiced it for two days. And the first day I got and I practiced for 10 minutes, eight hours later, I looked up. And I did that again the next day. And I looked up and it was dark out. I turned that game off and never turned on any of those things again. And that's why I got six books. That's why I'm well known. That's why I'm inconsistent because that is a waste of time unless you're getting paid for it. Yep. But now it's all part and parcel with everything. Yeah. You know, you got to pay. You got to be a gamer. You got to be this. Um, my son, when he was younger, he played some of the games like, you know, uh, the shooting games or uh, I, for, I forget them because I'd encourage it. Yep. And he'd play them, so when he got to college, he didn't go crazy playing them, right. if that made any sense. That makes sense. I did follow it a little bit, try to watch it, but it gave me dizziness.
0: <laughs> That's okay. Nice. All right. How about a favorite martial arts TV show?
1: You know, when I used to watch TV back in the early 70s, there was that show called Kung Fu yep. with David Carradine. Mm-hmm. And my dad and I used to watch it together once in a while. Nice. And my dad never watched TV. So it was sort of cool watching something with him. There were no other TV programs. I quit watching TV when the last episode of MASH. Oh,
0: wow. Okay. I was
1: out. I was out. I was doing my own thing. Okay. I never – and when I went to Japan, Japanese TV – Oh, the 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 production was so bad. It was like Sunday morning PBS production for their main night stuff, and I just it was horrible. Okay, I mean you know you, maybe a variety, but mm. it was it was you know it, it just you know that's yeah. okay. Hey, kung fu's yeah. a
0: good answer. So it was it was yeah yeah. How about a favorite martial arts movie? Well, back
1: you know, I'm going to be honest. I've never seen any of Cynthia Rothrock stuff. Really? None of that. None of that. Well, I was gone in Japan. Wow. Okay. I didn't know nothing, nothing. No. Look at this way. Remember Frank Dukes' stuff that he wrote that thing with yep. what's his face. I haven't seen that yet. Wow. You know why? Yeah. Because I saw that Bruce Lee movie. Enter the dragon. Uh, and, and a couple before that, mm-hmm. I saw a couple of Jackie Chan <laughs> movies. I saw something like the octagon and a couple of those with Chuck Norris, mm-hmm. but then those were, and, and the guy that I liked was, um uh, what is his name? Jeff, uh, Billy, Billy Jack.
0: Oh yeah. Yep.
1: So basically there was, well, remember I'm at that age where mm-hmm. no one wants us around <laughs> You know, and uh, so those were the ones that were basically you could choose from unless you were a Kung Fu guy and you started going into this or that or back in the mid 70s or uh, 1978, for example, where, you know, you'd look at Black Belt Magazine where you'd be reading on the toilet going someday, someday. And you'd be reading uh, Cho or Che where he had those books, you know, flying, jumping, spinning back kicks. Or Chuck Norris in the Grosset kick pants with the hidden
0: gossip, you know? <laughs> All that kind of stuff. Right. Final question. This one <laughs> yeah. doesn't have to be a martial arts movie, just a favorite movie fight scene in any movie you've ever seen. A favorite fight scene. The
1: 1941 classic with uh, Tyrone Power and Basil Rathbone, The Mark of Zorro. Nice. Um, it was an original one. Mm-hmm. a matter of fact, that's why it started my sword fighting. I was four years old when I first saw that movie, and I was intrigued. And every year when it came out, around Christmas, through that whole era I was growing up, it came out the same time uh, Wizard of Oz came out once a year. Okay. And I'd watch that, and I've watched it maybe 40 times. Wow. Because it all Because it, it's, it's just basic swordsmanship mm-hmm. and the way it is it's being an officer and a gentleman it's being it's it represents the sword mm-hmm. the person representing the sword the ideals behind it the, the saving the people saving LA or doing all that kind of stuff it's it's the essence of humanity nice well, that's a great now it, it's it's really cool you know mm-hmm. other movies Oh yeah, but it just doesn't come to like that. Like, you know, I could say reading Star Trek the first book was okay, mm-hmm. but you know what book I read and I continually read, and I probably read about mm, 25 30 times, mm. The Iliad and the Odyssey. Ah, Homer. Old traditional hardcore language. Mm-hmm. First book is a little dry. Second book is what people did. After I get through maybe half a book, I start speaking old, old sentence structure.
0: (laughs) So it's sort of cool, you know. All right, so Dana, anything that you want to mention that maybe I forgot to ask or you want to make sure we get out there before I let you go?
1: No, if anybody wants to learn swordsmanship, mm-hmm. I, I'm easy to find. Just put my name in any search engine. If you take my name, Sheehan Abbott, and throw that in, boom, it's all up. If you put Dana Abbott, I might be competing with a couple of girls.
0: <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'll put links for all your websites when the show comes out. I'll, I'll include links for everything out there in your your books and both your websites and anything else you want me to put out there too so
1: yeah do so do so usually all the books you can get online now you know we don't we don't print them anymore because that whole year is over and it costs more to ship them than it does for the book almost
0: that is true so, yeah and moreover I, yeah I, st- I still love having the physical books whenever possible so i'm still one who i still order i probably have about a Probably a thousand book library, and about 200 of those are martial arts books. So, (laughs) sweet, sweet. I don't have a library. I get a book,
1: I eat it, and then I give it out. Or some student comes over and goes, Wow, like I have stuff signed from Japan that other people have. Wow, books and stuff. Because at the end of the day, it's that you'll live to be a hundred. Yeah, you know, you know how it goes. It's just being it just, just making sure that it isn't about safe and it isn't about self defense. It's about the spirit of the thing. Now, if you want to get in some tangents about the four rings or the five rings of Miyamoto Musashi, where if you have any questions at that, I can easily just explain it to you in seconds and you go, Oh. Now, remember, though, I was lambasted about last July where they, had, um, where uh, what do you call that, uh, Black Belt Magazine say, will you do a, a thing for us? I go, what do you want it to do on? Anything you want. And I go, okay, I'll do it on short and long sword. And he told you, double swords. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stuff that made Miyamoto Musashi for, sort of famous on that. And he was one of these guys that, uh, what would we say, was a loner.
0: Okay.
1: And how old are you now?
0: Just turned 49 a couple weeks ago.
1: Okay, maybe. Do you remember back if they had physical education back when you were in junior high school? Mm-hmm. Did they have it every day? Oh yeah. And there was that, there were the students and there were the good boys and the bad boys. <laughs> yep. And there was that always that one student that had the long stringy hair that never washed it. And you went to gym class, and he's the one that wore the uh boxer shorts underneath the other so you could see him hanging out <laughs> with the colored socks and the cowboy boots. Oh yeah. And, and then they'd run and he'd win the race. Yep. That's what Miyamoto Musashi was compared to his peers. Okay. So he wasn't a pristine guy. He was a loner. He pissed people off. That's how he won a lot of his stuff. He pissed people off. Nice. So anyway, that's how it is. But they they take and they what is it? they put people up on a pedestal a lot. So I was doing told You and I'm working it. Now remember, Need Told You, I used to go with a group of people move we or two vets and stuff we go down to Ganju jima raccoon island as they call it and remember that big fight scene where they had you hearing the things where he took an oar and he beat the hell out of the guy and mm-hmm. killed him yep i go down to that island at least every year and we do a big tournament down there and stuff like that nice. and across the street or across on the other side of the island is in the Kyushu area of course and you know you hear about his cave that he lived in and all that, but. Everybody takes the art and takes it to the next generation. Well, the people that were taken at that generation, this 40 years ago, was the fire department. So if you go over to that particular town, you go over to the fire department up on the fifth floor, that's where someone, a captain of the fire team or one of those guys, that's where they have the dojo and they continue his legacy in one way or another. That But you have to remember, 10% are real good. 70% go through the motions. The other ones might quit next week. Same, same as here. Okay. Okay? But you learn all the different aspects and you learn the different cottage. You learn a little different thought process. And the 10% of the killers, you couldn't see their movements because it was so much practical application on five striking areas that it was just like, you know, he was like a crab with a big claw and a little claw. And he used those tools to, to eat you up fast. Whereas the ones that were in between, they were sort of too rigid and they go through these weird stops and katas and movements to get into it. Well, anyway, you'd see a lot. If you go over to he Told you, there's lots of different styles and they all do the katas. The hard part is, is that when you push something out or you start talking about something, there are going to be select groups that just pull you down and tell you you're nothing and really just make it look like I don't know. But the cool thing about it is that I want everybody to understand Mm -hmm. this might be my biggest point is here I am where I am in the martial art industry and I'm on a pinnacle. There's there's a small group with the, with the key to the men's room. Mm -hmm. And I look at all these different people and all these, this is a message for the new upcomers. Don't listen to your peers. Don't hear the naysaying. Don't listen to the dream stealers. Because if I did, even coming back from Japan by people that couldn't speak the traditional language, doing a half-assed art in their own thought process, and they would tell me that I was no good. And if I believed it, I wouldn't have continued. I still get it. The more I'm hated, the more I'm well known. So to all your listeners out there, make it a point. Listen to only positive people and always keep your eyes on the other side of the garden so you can see new techniques that you might use or you might want so you're not surprised. But on the other side of the fence, on that other side, don't listen to the people because they'll pull you down because that is the, the people, that's people, that is people. Nice. And that's why all these movies, the, the samurai sword movies or all the, like the uh, Marcus Oral, it all goes back to keeping away from the naysayers and being those few that people want to em- emulate themselves after.
0: That was a line. Hey, yes. Uh, a great way to end it though. So I just, I just, I want to thank you. This has been so much fun. I've loved hearing your story and, and learning a lot more about you that I didn't know. And I, I can't wait till the episode comes out.
1: Oh, you should hear the other side. I have just get me a couple of beers. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Who knows? But maybe maybe if I come to to uh, Arizona, we'll have to hang out. So <laughs>
1: I, I'll tell you stuff that you know you can't talk about. You know, in the martial art industry. <laughs>
0: there we go. There yeah, we no
1: bad mouthing or no bad mouthing or anything like that. But you know, when you spend all these years traveling through like 45 or 50 countries mm-hmm. learning all the different martial arts and playing this and comparing, you know? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of
0: interesting things out there. Nice. Well, just once again, I, I so much, I appreciate your time and I can't wait till the episodes ready. I'm excited.
1: Well, you have a great day and everybody out there and uh, a podcast land have a wonderful week.